Hey, well, you are, you are really quiet this morning. Are, have you woken up yet? Well, we need some calisthenics yet. It's like, when it's kind of like it's a little, you know, coming in so early, uh, but it's great to be here with you. And uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching. Inside your program uh, is a, a message note sheet. If you're brand new, you'll definitely want to uh, check that out, pull it out, because it's help you follow along. And then we're going we're gonna to jump in and uh, dig into the Word today. You guys ready to go? All, all right, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, our lives, what you're doing, for the gift of life. Uh, God, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for um, the gift of new life he's given us and this calling he's, he's given us, not just to come and, and to be saved and to be rescued, to be transformed and changed into a whole new kind of person, a person like you. And so today as we, we jump in and we, we take the next step in that journey, we pray that you'd come and by your spirit, God, I just pray you'd speak to us in a powerful way, that it would just be very specific. Uh, very uh, name, a name message for our name, for our lives, uh, that we would be impacted today, uh, change, grow, challenge, sent out to uh, become more like you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for about four weeks, I think it is, and it's called Jesus, the Call to Follow. And for those of you brand new, uh, not only a special welcome, but uh, just let me give you just a little bit of background. Uh, this series is actually the second part of a three-part series uh, on the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. He's a man named Mark. He was a close personal friend of the Apostle Peter. And towards the end of Peter's life, uh, Mark wrote down uh, the message, of the, the life and story of Jesus as told by Peter, uh, his close personal friend based on Peter's firsthand uh, life experiences. And so, uh, so this, this book, uh, we, write, we call this gospel the Gospel of Mark, and uh, it's written about 30, 35 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, if you were here last week, or at the, rather the start of this series, we saw at the start of this series, Jesus for the first time reveals to his men uh, who he is, that, that he's more than a prophet, he's more than a great teacher, he's more than a miracle worker, that he's actually the great king of Israel that has been prophesied for a thousand years would one day come and bring the kingdom of God. And so, but right away, he also begins to explain to them that he's a very different kind of Messiah than they thought, that, that he's not come to crush the Romans, he's actually come to be crushed by the Romans, that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be uh, uh, beaten, he's going to be executed, and then he's going to rise, whatever that means, they don't understand at this point, and, and then he shares, and, and on top of that, if you're going to follow me, uh, that you need to be prepared to be crushed yourself, you need to be prepared to, to die with me, and so... This whole message is horrifying to them. This is terrifying. It's the exact opposite of everything they've been brought up to believe. They, they've been brought up to believe when Messiah comes, all wrongs will be turned to right. Uh, enemies will be crushed. We'll be at the top, not at the bottom. We'll rule the world with him. And so it's, it's kind of a, a devastating message. Well, uh, in this series, The Call to Follow, Jesus is actually going to talk about this three times. Three times he's going to make this prediction that he's going to be arrested, executed, and then rise. And so today we come to the second of the three predictions. Now, after each of the three predictions, the apostles say or do something that shows that they still have no understanding, really, of why Jesus has come or, or what, he is, you know, what it means to follow. The first time Jesus told them, remember, Peter pulls aside Jesus and rebukes him. Remember that? Did not go real well for Peter. Remember that? And, and so that's the first time. Well, this, today's the second time. And, and, and what happens is every time the apostles 
say something's kind of bonehead or do some kind of bonehead after this, the prediction, then it gives Jesus a great platform to do some awesome teaching about what it looks like to follow him, what it means to be a follower. And so today, we're going to see some more great teaching about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus based on their response to this second prediction. And so uh, there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the second prediction, death plus resurrection plus implications. And if you have your Bibles or your apps, let's go ahead and open them up or turn them on to, uh, to Mark chapter 9, and we'll pick it up at verse uh, 30. And let me set the stage. So, so here's what's going on. Uh, remember last week, if you were here, uh, Jesus was up in the north of the country, uh, and he, and he had healed this boy that was severely demonized. Remember, he could not could talk, uh, couldn't speak, epileptic-type seizures, Jesus heals his son, and, and remember, he heals the father's faith in the process. The father said, remember, uh, uh, he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And so Jesus not only heals the boy, but he heals the father's faith. And we talked about that. And so, so now they're going to be traveling south. And they're going to be going back south to the Galilee, which is the northern part of the country of Israel. And they're going to be traveling west towards the coast. And, and so they're, they're heading towards their, uh, Jesus' home base of operations, which is the city of Capernaum. And on the way there, uh, Jesus is going to be teaching them the second time about his, his impending death, his, his arrest and his execution. And again, uh, they, they, they just can't get this, and they're kind of uh, scared to death. And so on the way uh, there, they're going to have a discussion. After he just tells them this, and they're going to be arguing over uh, which of them is truly uh, the coolest disciple. All right. Now, so, so it's like, you can just, they're picturing this, Jesus on ahead, and they're back there going, no, I think, you know, and so what they're picturing is even though Jesus has just told them the second time he's going to be arrested and, and executed, this is so far outside of their paradigm, they just can't hold on to it, right? And so, so they're still thinking, we're going to Jerusalem to rule. Jesus is going to unleash his power on Rome. There's going to be a new administration. We need to figure out our cabinet member places here. Like, we didn't figure out, like, who's Secretary of State, who's, you know, and so, so they're having an argument. No, I think I'm the coolest. Uh, I think I'm the best. I think that I'm the greatest. I think that, no, no, I'm the greatest. No, you're not the greatest. Remember that lame thing you did, Peter? Remember how Jesus rebuked you? Um, you're not really that cool. I know you think you're the boss around here, but you're not really the boss of us. So they're arguing over who is the greatest. Now, I want you to catch this, that, uh, to us, it may seem kind of strange, right? Like, imagine you're in a ministry, and you're all starting arguing, no, I think I'm the best, right? Like, in your life group this week, who's the coolest member of our life group? You're like, I think I'm the coolest. I, I come prepared every week. Uh, I'm here. I participate. No, no, you're not the coolest. I, I lead worship in this life group. Obviously, I'm the closest to God, right? So that would seem kind of weird in our context. But I want you to remember something, that the world before Jesus came, and I'm talking about the whole world, especially Western culture, let's put Western, Western culture before Jesus came and Western culture after Jesus came were never the same. Uh, the, the coming, the teaching of Jesus, the life and teaching of Jesus, the movement of Christianity changed Western culture forever. And so before Jesus came, in the ancient world, like uh, say with uh, the Greek world, the Roman world, here we'll see it in the Jewish world, that it was very common to brag and boast about yourself. Pride, if you read like the Aristotles, and the, pride was seen as a good thing. 
And so to, to boast, to kind of promote your own brand was seen as very appropriate. If you read uh, ancient Roman literature and so on, uh, there would be, you know, these Roman statesmen and all, they would erect a statue to himself and they would inscribe it with, here's all the things I've done for this city. It was a very different world. After the life and teaching of Jesus and the spread of Christianity, humility came to be an honored thing, which is why in our culture to this day, we still kind of distrust most people who are really self-promoting and we trust people who are more humble, right? But in the world before Jesus, it was not like that. And so, so the disciples are just kind of reflecting their culture. They're arguing on the road, like, like who is really the best? You know, as we come into this new administration, who should be uh, the top leader? Who should be the second leader? And they're having an argument. And so it's going to give Jesus time to speak into what does it look like to be truly great? Like, like I know you want to be great. That's awesome. I want you to be great too. But what's the path to true success? In life? What, what does true success look like? So, so with that as the intro, let's jump in. And in verse uh, 30, so it says, they left that place, so this is up in the north where he'd healed the demoniac, and uh, he passed through Galilee. Now, Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And so what we're going to see in the second series is in the first series, Jesus the King, uh, the emphasis was on Jesus and the crowds, his big miracles, his teaching. The emphasis in the second series is Jesus really pulling his disciples aside to prepare them for what's going to happen in Jerusalem when he's arrested. And so, so he's kind of trying to say under the radar, verse 31, because he was teaching his disciples and he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. It's the second prediction he's made. And he says that they're going to kill him. And then after three days, he will rise. And of course, they don't really understand what he's talking about. Verse 32, uh, they didn't understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him. And so last time, Peter had, had kind of rebuked him. And that had not gone so well for Peter. So this time, they're like, uh, we're not, not sure we even want to really know what you're talking about. And so they just kind of stick their head in the sand. And they're going on like, I don't know what he's talking about, this death and resurrection. It's always parables. We don't really get that. But we, we know what's going to happen. We're going to go and we're going to win. Okay, and so, so that's reflected now in the next, what happens next. And so they're come to Capernaum. This is his home base. And when he's in the house, he asks him, hey, by the way, uh, what were you arguing about on the road? Have you ever said something and then immediately kind of wished you hadn't? Like, oh, I think I just stepped in it. Uh, this is kind of, it's one of those moments. And, uh, and so they're not even going to tell him. They're not going to tell him, but of course he knows. And, and so they kept quiet because of the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Yeah, we were arguing, Jesus, who, who's really the greatest? And no one wants to say that. And it's kind of feeling like, oh, you know, maybe that wasn't the best. And so sitting down, so Jesus is going to be like a rabbi. Now rabbis sit down when they teach. And so he's, he's sitting down as a rabbi and he calls the 12, and he says to them, listen, I, I need some teaching here. I know, I know your goal is to be great, and I want you to catch this today. Jesus wants all of us to be great, right? Uh, what you're going to notice today is in his teaching that Jesus is, is not saying, hey, you want to be great. You shouldn't want to be great. What he's going to say is, hey, I know you want to be great. Let me tell you how to be great. Uh, you know, in, in the book of Romans in chapter 2, it says to those who by persistence in doing good, pursue glory, honor, and immortality, they'll receive eternal life. See, see God has a plan for your life. He, he wants you to be great. He wants you to receive glory, honor, and immortality. It's just the way he measures it's real different. 
And so Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, I know you want to be the greatest. Let me tell you the pathway to true greatness. And so, so he says, uh, he says, sitting down, he calls the 12. He says, if anyone wants to be first, in other words, you want to be the head of the class, you want to be the, the first on the team, you want to be truly successful, if anyone wants to be great, uh, he must be the very what? The last. Okay? And he must be the what? The servant of what? Of all. Now, I want to stop here for a second. This teaching would have been revolutionary at the time. This teaching would have been shocking. It would have been horrifying. Like, we're so used to it in Christian circles. We make our plaques, you know. We talk about servant leadership. We, we're so used to the concept that we have no idea how they would have heard this. But I want you to remember, back in the ancient world, being a servant or being a slave was a very normal part of life. And no one said, oh, I hope my child, when they grow up, can be a slave. Right? That's not your aspiration. Uh, servants, slaves, um, women, children, they're at the bottom of the social pecking order. Like, no one wants to be a servant. No one wants to be a slave. Like, to get our minds around this, think back in our country pre-Civil War days. And if someone said, hey, the, you want to be the greatest, you're going to be a slave. Like, who would sign up for that, right? It's like, this is not, this is much like, remember when Jesus said at the start of this series, if anyone would follow me, take up his cross. Remember how horrifying that was. Like, the last thing you'd ever want to do. In the same way, this was shocking teaching. We've become way too familiar. Hey, if you want to be great, become a servant. Next chapter, he'll say, become a slave. Like, what? And then to illustrate this, Jesus is going to call a little child to himself. Now, remember, they're in a house. Very likely, it's in Peter's house in Capernaum. And uh, there's a little child there. Apparently, there's no servants there. There's no slave, there's slaves there, but there's a, there's a child there. And remember that in the ancient world, children were at the bottom of the pecking order. Like in our culture today, children are very near the top at least in many, many of our lives. We often build our lives around our kids. You know, my, my kid's student of the month, we put it on our bumper sticker. In the ancient world, it was not like that. Children were not valued. And the younger you were, the least valued you were. Children be seen, not heard. It's a very different world. So in the teaching of Jesus, children often come to represent the lowest, the least of these. Right? They're, they're, so, so there's no servants or, or slaves there that Jesus can illustrate, but he wants to do a, an illustration to help them understand what he's just said. And so what he does is he goes to his knees, he's sitting there, he's, he's, he kind of goes to his knees, and, he's, and he calls over this child that's over in the corner, very lowest, representing the least of these, and he takes this little child, and he tenderly puts his arms around this child, and he, he draws this child to himself, and he says, hey, if you want to be great, I know you want to be great, I know she goes, if you truly want to be great, just let me tell you how to be great. When you love the least of these, when you, when you care for the least of these, like this little child, he said, you're touching my heart. You're, you're, you're embracing me. And when you embrace me, you embrace the Father who sent me. And there is no higher calling in life than to serve the great king. So the path to true greatness 
is, is not by uh, kind of pursuing this position in power. It's by loving well and by embracing the least. You see, and so he gives them this very memorable uh, uh, kind of illustration, case study that they'll never forget. And so he, he says in verse 36, he takes this little child and he has him stand among them and then and catch the tenderness and he takes him in his arms. And he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children, some of the least of these, in my name, you know, because of me, he welcomes me. He's taking me to his arms. And whoever welcomes me doesn't just welcome me, he welcomes the one who sent me. And so, so Jesus gives this powerful illustration of the path to true greatness is not the, the, kind of the, the pursuit of position and power and, and all that thing. It's, it's really about loving, and it's about loving the least. If you truly want to be great, love and love the least. Right? So that's the passage. Now, uh, the, the question is kind of what, what are the principles for our lives? And so what I want to do today is take some time, and I want to flesh out. There on your note sheet, you'll see there's a place for a couple principles. We're actually going to add a third one because I kind of was a late add. Uh, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, uh, add two principles, and then we're going to come back and ask two questions. We've got three principles and two questions. And so there on your note sheet, the section is called The Path to Success is Countercultural plus Radical plus Future Focused. And so, so let's jump in. The first principle goes like this, that the path to success leads through the door of service. The path to success leads through the door of service. So let's talk about this. What Jesus wants us to understand is the way God measures greatness is very different than the way we offer measure greatness. And so remember, what we've been learning in this series is that the movement of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, remember three key words, it's countercultural, it's radical, and it's future-focused. And those all come to bear in this teaching. Because what Jesus says, hey, he says, hey, where I come from, right? Like that country song? Oh, never mind. Uh, 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 where I come from, anyway. Uh, uh, where, where I come from, we measure greatness differently. I know how you measure it down here, and that's why you're trying to, to be the greatest. You're trying to be the first. You're trying to get this position of power in my future administration and, and, and all the perks that will come with that and all the wealth that will come. I don't get all that. He says, but where I come from, we measure greatness differently, and we measure it in the long run. Right? And, and so the, I want you to catch this right at the beginning. Why is service so important? And I want you to catch this. Service is important because service is a reflection of a heart of love. You see, for the Christ follower, and we'll see this when we get to chapter 12. When, for the Christ follower, Jesus was once asked, what is the most important thing in all of the Bible? You know, what, like what's the most important thing? And he said, very simple, it's to love God and to love people. Right? So that's the most important thing, you know, love God and love people. We'll catch this, service is simply the practical outworking of love. When you love someone, you serve them. And this is why for the Christ followers, service is so important because service is the practical measure of love. Like if you truly love someone, you will serve. And that's why service is, is a measure of greatness. And, and so, for example, like in this world, I want you to think about it. We tend to measure greatness or success differently, don't we? 
Like, for example, we measure, let me, let me give you some example. We measure success by the amount of possessions that a person has. So the more money that you make, the more cool things that you have, the more designer clothing that you wear, uh, the nicer car that you drive, the better neighborhood that you work in, the, the higher your net worth, we tend to measure like this. So if someone who's very wealthy comes into the room, and we all know it, you know, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates walks in the room, people instantly start serving them, right? Uh, Mr. Gates, is there anything I can get you? Would you want me in cars? Like we, we just, it doesn't matter. You can do it as small, you can see it in your family gatherings, you can see it uh, in, in uh, uh, your workplace. The more money and stuff people have, the more they are honored. It's considered, a, it's considered a mark of great. You can be the greatest jerk in the world, but if you have a lot of money, people will serve you, right? It's just the way it goes. Uh, a second way that we measure it is by position. That people who are higher in the organization uh, are considered greater than those lower. And it, it's every part of life. The guy that's the first string quarterback is greater than the second string quarterback. The first chair violinist, greater than the second chair violinist. The CEO is more important than the janitor, right? Every area of life is like this, that the way we measure greatness, the higher you are in the org chart, the more important you are, the more valuable, and people naturally serve you. A third way that we tend to measure in our culture and all of culture would be by power, that the more power you have, the greater you're considered to be. It doesn't matter if it's military power or economic power or personality power or influence power or knowledge power. Like really smart people are seen as greater than people who are not so smart. Right? It's every area that, 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 uh, that power is seen as greatness. And so we honor that. So when the general walks in the room, more attention than the private walks in the room, right? It's just it's the way it is. Okay, now the, the, the fourth way that we measure, we measure greatness is by popularity. It starts in junior high, right? In crowd, out crowd. Who's the coolest kid? Want to be by the coolest kid. Coolest kid gets served. Coolest kid gets imitated. Uh, it, it goes all the way, you know, the high school, uh, your workplace, whatever. This is why we do lame things. Like in our country, this is why we invite celebrities who know nothing about most things <laughs> to come and testify in Congress about the most important things. So, Madonna, what do you think? She's a material girl. It's like, well, you know, you know, it's like, like, right? It's like, um, right? It's, and so we do this. Let me, let me tell you, sidebar here. Sidebar. Quick sidebar. From time to time, we will have celebrities come to Rocky Peak. From time to time. Not a lot, but we have. We have, we'll have celebrities come, right? And so, you know, we, we live in the entertainment capital of the world, right? So you have, you have celebrities come here. And can I tell you something? One of the things that bums me out the most 
is when we treat them like a celebrity when they're in church. Like when someone comes to church and we're more impressed with them than God who are here to worship. It's like it drives me crazy. It's like people start acting crazy. It's like, oh, look at that, oh, you know. And we're like, God, we're just like, oh, you know, get the autograph. Or, oh, you know. It's like my heart goes out. Where can these people go and be normal? The one place they should be able to go and be normal is the church of Jesus Christ. That's the one place. Because in the church of Jesus Christ, there is no Jew or, or, or Gentile, you know, Greek or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ. Those who are rich should remember that they're really poor, and those who are poor should remember they're really rich, James says. All right, so in the church of Jesus, and as we grow as a church, this will happen. People will come. Celebrities will come from time to time. I would hope that we would remember that the way Jesus measures greatness is not the way the world measures greatness. And when you come, they just need to be loved and welcomed as anyone else. So, so okay, sorry, sidebar done. No. Okay, so this is the way that the world measures greatness. It measures it by things like possessions, by position, by power, and by popularity. This is why the disciples wanted to have the corner offices in the new administration. This is why they're going to argue in the next chapter, can I sit at your right and your left? This is, they, they see this, hey, if I could only be great, I'll be happy, and this is the path to happiness. Right? So they're arguing. So Jesus says, listen, no, in my case, it's a little different, that I want you to be sex, successful. I want you to, be, uh, to have an amazing future. You're created to be great. God has a plan for you. But the path to greatness is not the path of popularity or possessions or uh, power. Or pos- that's not it. It's a path of service. That's how you get there, that if you want to be truly great in my kingdom, because where I come from, we measure things differently. And when you get there and you're going to be measured, what you did here and those kind of areas aren't even going to matter. We're going to measure by how much you loved, and we're going to measure it as lived out by a life of service. Does that make sense? So as Christ's followers, we have to be totally countercultural in the way we look at success. Now, and by the way, this, this really counts for our kids, too. Many times as followers of Jesus, you can tell what we really think is successful by what we want most for our kids. And so so if you're all about, hey, let's get the great job and the great education so you can get the great house and get the great car and get the great position and make a lot of money, you have to stop and hey, that's a reflection of your values. That's what you believe is true greatness. And, And if you do that, you're raising your kids the wrong way. You're teaching them exactly the opposite of Jesus. All right, now, number two. Oh, you know, before we go on, let me say this. I've got to say one thing. What I want you to catch is that Jesus is the exact opposite of this. Was he a man of possessions? No. Uh, was he a man of position? Well, not culturally. He was, uh, he was a carpenter from a, a no-name town. Uh, was he a man of power? Well, in the sense of miracles, yes, but... At the end of the story, he's crucified as the powerlessness. He was crucified in weakness, the Bible says. And, and then in terms of popularity, I mean, he had his moments. But it didn't end real well. Right? 
And so, so Jesus becomes the anti-hero. It is, he's the exact opposite of who we would normally honor, and yet how does the story end? You'll study it in your life groups this week. In Philippians 2, he becomes raised to the highest place in the universe. Why? Because he served the most. You see, so the way God measures, the way we measure, very different. We, we measure in the short run, God measures in the long run, future focus. And the path to true greatness is this path uh, of service. All right, now, number two. The second one is that service is part of our core identity. As a follower of Jesus, what Jesus wants us to understand is that service is part of our core identity. In other words, um, service is not an occasional act that we do. Often, even as Christ was, we look at service as sort of the extra credit of the Christian life. Like it's an occasional act we do. And so we go to Uganda uh, to help serve. We go to Mexico to build houses. We serve in a kids' ministry to, to, uh, to, to, to raise up our kids. We lead a life group. Uh, we, we serve in the PTA. We uh, lead a little league team. And so we, look at, we tend to look at service as an occasional act of what, we, of what we do. Jesus looks at it different. Jesus looks at service as part of your core identity. It's not like you're a servant because you serve. It's like, no, you serve because you're a servant. It's part of a core of who you are because it flows out of this heart of love. So wherever you go, uh, it's a mentality of how do I love people and, and a mentality of how do I serve them well. And so this, you, you see this in the life of Jesus. He models this. That we, we're, we're far along in the Gospel of Mark now. We're in chapter 9. And, and we're on track to finish before he comes back. And so, uh, so you see this all the way through from chapter 1 on. Jesus, very first time we see him in action, that very first Saturday at the, at the synagogue, uh, after he heals the demoniac in the morning, late at night, after the Sabbath is over, remember the crowds are coming to be healed, and he stays up late at night healing them. As to get up early the next morning, his life becomes so busy in the coming months that by chapter 3, he can't even get a meal alone with his disciples. By the time you get to chapter 6, he's trying to get away on vacation for some R&R, and they get to the far side of the sea, and when they get there, the crowds have beat them there. And what does he do? He puts aside his vacation plans, teaches them all day, heals them, and then feeds them 5,000 that night. What we've seen, Jesus has the heart of a servant. Wherever he goes, it serves. And the ultimate act of service is going to be going to the cross. But what I want you to catch, that, that that's just the last in a, long, in a lifetime of service. This is not like unusual. This is just the greatest example of it. In fact, there in your note sheet, I put this verse from Mark chapter 10, the next chapter, where he's going to take this, this teaching about service to a new level. We'll get there in a few weeks. But he says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man, which is his name for himself, did not come to be served, but to what? He says, the reason I came to planet Earth was to serve. Are you following? This is his core identity. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does. It's why he came. He came to serve. And this is his great joy because it flows out of his heart of love. And he says, and he says to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's just the, the last act of service. It's the greatest act of service, but it flows out of a lifetime of service. And so for us as Christ followers, 
Why don't you get service is not an occasional act we do. It's not just that random act of kindness. It's not just, hey, walking the little lady over the street. It's not just, hey, from, here's the three times this week I served. I served at church, and I served this person, and I served at work here. This, and I, see, I'm, I'm a servant because I served these three times. That's not it. For the Christ followers, service is a lifestyle. It's part of our core identity. It's who we are. Wherever we go, we serve because it's, it's who we are. It's who Jesus is reshaping us to be, to be like him. This is why here at Rocky Peak, when we were creating our vision statement years ago, that we, we it went like this, said that our vision is to unleash a movement of what? Yeah, let's say it again. We're unleashing a movement of what? Passionate Christ followers. Well, what's that look like? What's it look like to be a passionate Christ follower? Well, it looks like, number one, pursuing God. That's our equivalent of loving God with all of our heart. What's it look like? It looks like loving others. What's that? Second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, but what are the next two? The next two flow out of the first two. What does it look like to love God, pursue God and love others? It looks like serving sacrificially. It looks like sharing Christ. Why? Because if you truly love God and you love others, you will live a life of sacrificial service. And the greatest service of all is to share Jesus with someone so they can come into a relationship and be saved. You see? See, the last two flow out of the first two. Number three. This is the one we're going we're to make up. Number three, you just have to write it in under number two. The third one goes like this, is the path of service is the path to life. The path of service, dot, 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 is the path to life. And here's what I want you to catch. That for Jesus, whenever he's teaching us on any topic, He's always spelling out the path to life. Okay? So when Jesus came, remember what he said, I have come that you might have what? Life. And that you might have life to the fullest. Okay? So, so whenever Jesus, anytime he opens his mouth, he's always telling you, here's how to live life to the fullest. Here's the path to the good life. Here's the path to the blessed life. Here's, a, here's ultimate fulfillment. So Jesus never tells you something to restrict you. He always tells you things to protect you and lead you to life. This is the way he is. He is love. He speaks love. He loves you passionately. Whatever he's telling you to do something, it's always so life will be better for you in the long run. Okay? Always. Okay, so, so when Jesus comes and tells us, for some of us, it's like because of our fallen nature, we look at this like, what a bummer. I have to serve, like, all the time. Like, when do I get served? Uh, that's what I'm talking about, right? It's a, that's, that's the apostles. Like, how do I get the corner office? I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, you're not the greatest because I'm the greatest. Why? Because if you're the greatest, the corollary, you have possessions, you have power, you have position, you have popularity. When you're the greatest, you get served. And so in their mind, the path to happiness is to achieve all these things so that in turn you'll be served and you'll be happy. That's their, their mindset. That's all of our mindset. As a follower, that's our mindset. And Jesus says, I know it seems that way. He says, trust me in this, that if you want to experience life to the full, it's exact opposite, totally countercultural. That what you do is you let me change your heart from the inside out to you truly love people. 
and you love God. And then out of that, you serve them. You live a life of service, and this will lead to life of the full. You're going to be truly happy. This, this is what it's all about. In fact, in John chapter 13, it's the last night that Jesus is with his men before he's arrested. And he does this crazy, ludicrous thing that just blew him away where after dinner, he goes over, strips off his outer clothes kind of like, like a slave, and he picks up this bowl of water, and he becomes, comes starts to wash their feet. Now, remember, in their culture, even rab, a rabbi could not require a disciple to wash his feet. Required just about anything else. He could not require that because it was considered too humiliating to the disciple. And, and now we've got the rabbi washing the disciples' feet. And, and they are offended by this. They're like, this is wrong. In fact, when he gets to Peter, kind of speaking for the whole, you're, you're not washing my feet. It's not happening. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, it is happening. Uh, and because what Jesus wanted to understand is that, hey, listen, this is what I've been doing your whole lives. I've been washing your feet. When I go to the cross, I'm washing your feet. It's, this is who I've, I've come to serve you. You just need to understand that. And he gives us some powerful illustration. And when he gets done, he says, hey, do you know what just happened? He says, I'm your teacher, I'm your Lord, and I just washed your feet. And if, if I wash your feet, that means you need to, in the future, this movement, you need to wash each other's feet. And then he says this in verse 17. I put it there. It's under point number two above. He says this, now that you know these things about serving one another, you'll be what? Blessed. If you, and remember, in the Hebrew vocabulary, in our vocabulary, blessing means like, God bless you, you sneeze. In the Hebrew vocabulary, the word blessing is the highest goal in life. To be under the blessing of God means the joy, the prosperity, the, the all good things come under the blessing. It's the goal. And so he says, hey, if you truly want to be fulfilled, if you truly want to experience life the fullest, trust me, if, now that you know this, Make sure you do this. So the path of service is the path of life, right? So those are the principles, okay? The three big picture principles is that the path, is, the, the path of greatness, you want to be truly great in the long run, uh, the door always leads through service. Uh, secondly, service is not an occasional act. It is your core identity. And third, that service is, uh, the path of service is a path to life, fulfillment, freedom, joy, and so on. So those are the principles. Now, the question is, how are we doing? And so we need to do some self-evaluation. Now, this is not intended at all to be like a guilt session, a shame session. Uh, Frankly, we're all doing probably pretty poorly at this. So let's just admit that right I'm I'm no good at this. You're no good at this. Uh, So we're going to come to Jesus as our leader, as our teacher. The only way we get good at this is if he changes us from the inside out supernaturally, right? It's going to take a miracle for us to get good at this. Uh, We're going to have to obey him. We're going to have to follow the leading of his spirit. But this is going to be a supernatural process. But but this is a great, like we hear a message like this, we need to get practical and say, well, how are we doing in this? All right? So there in your note sheet, a couple questions. You have a section called The Path of Success. How are you doing? Number one is the obvious question is, are you living a life of service? Now, are you living a life of service? And so you may say, well, yes. You may say no. But it's really kind of hard to figure out. So to help us figure this out, I'm going to break it down. And, and I'm going to ask in three different spheres. So there in your note sheet, you have this diagram, three different circles, three different spheres. And I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to break it down. Let's talk about service in three different areas of our life, okay? moving from the most important out to the, 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 the edge. So the first, the inner circle. The first question, the first word, you write the word home in there. And by home, 
you might want to put in the margin, I mean friends and family. Okay? Uh, so the question is, are you serving your friends and family well? Now here's the thing. Often when we think of service, I want you to catch this, it's important. We tend to think of something heroic. We tend to think of something out of the ordinary, very special, above and beyond, kind of not, not mundane. Like, so when we think of service, we think of things like, hey, going to Uganda, going to uh, Mexico to build houses, uh, uh, doing water wells in Africa, uh, feeding the homeless, uh, helping uh, young uh, men and women get out of the sex trafficking trade, uh, all great things. And we'll talk about it later, all great things. But, but we, our mind tends to go there. And so if we are doing those things, we tend to think, yeah, I'm living a life of service. I, I gave this organization, or I did this, or I did that. But, but what I want you to catch is the life of service starts at the mundane, and it starts at home with our, our friends and family. Uh, that, that if you want to know, do you have a heart of service, the place to start, are, are you serving your spouse well? Are you serving your kids well? Are you serving your friends well? Uh, a great quote there from one of my favorite Catholic writers, uh, St. Francis de Sales. He wrote a great book called Introduction to a Devout Life. And uh, this is, of course, a very old book, but I want you to catch this. He says, great occasions for serving God come seldom. Don't miss that. Great occasions for serving they come seldom. You know, we're going to go to Africa, we're going to go to Mexico, we're going to go down once a month to feed the homeless, whatever. But little ones surround us daily. And our Lord himself, Jesus, told us that, quote, he that's faithful in little is also faithful in much. And so if you do all in God's name, all you do will be well done. Whether you eat or drink or sleep, whether you amuse yourself or you turn the spit, talking about rotisserie, not chewing gum. Uh, so he says, so long as you do wisely, you will become great in God's sight, doing all because he would have you to do it. Do you catch what he's saying here? Great, great occasion. Service starts at home. Service is taking out the trash. Service is cleaning up the dishes. Service is making the bed. Service is, hey, the car's low on gas. I'll fill it up so my spouse doesn't have to do that when, when he or she comes out and it's empty. Service is cup of cold water at night. Service is running the errand. See, service is what lubricates life. Right? Show me, show me a, a husband and wife that their goal is to outserve the other one. I will show you a great marriage. Show me a husband and wife that keeps score. Number two. Uh, <laughs> the second circle. The second circle is the church. Okay? We're talking about the ecclesia. We just finished that series, uh, the call to community. We talked about as followers of Jesus, when we're born again, we become part of his family, this new community, the ecclesia. And as a community, we're to love one another and we're to serve one another in a wide variety of ways. And so if you read the New Testament, this is reflected in all the one another's of the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, share with one another, challenge one another. And so as followers of Jesus, we're called uh, in the, to serve one another in a wide variety of ways, just normal everyday ways. But, but in the body of Christ, we're also told that one of the most important ways that we serve one another is by using our spiritual gifts. 
So it, we're told in the New Testament, when you come to Jesus at subsequent times, that he will give you certain spiritual gifts. The, the Bible spells out, gives us lots of examples. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, wisdom, uh, knowledge, teaching, uh, healing, administration, helps, leadership, giving, you know, all these different gifts, right? And, and so one of the things the New Testament says is as the body of Christ, we're called to love and serve one another in all kinds of normal ways, but catch this, one of the most effective ways for you to serve the body of Christ is by using your gift. This is where you're going to make the biggest difference. You know, a few weeks ago, we had a, 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 discovered that we had a water leak that had gone for some time in our kitchen. And, and like, I, I don't know what to do. And so we start calling some guys in the church so we know they're good at that, right? It's, just, it's amazing how God, you know, put it together. The, the guy across the streets, the, the granite guy, uh, guy in Simi, uh, c- contractor, there's cabinetry, uh, uh, one of the guys here, uh, the church plumber. Uh, and so within one, uh, another guy here, uh, works for uh, our insurance company, uh, w- works in the mold department. No, uh, uh, anyway, but he, he's a claims adjuster. And so within one day, right, we've got these four guys at our house evaluating and beginning to solve this problem. And it was awesome because they didn't just care about me and Lynn. Uh, they didn't just love us. They were able to serve us incredibly well because of their giftings, right? Now, if you have a water leak at your house, don't call me. Because I will care about you. I could come and pray for you. I could come and encourage you. I could come and lay hands on the pipe. Right? But trust me, you don't want me. You want someone with the appropriate gifts to bear. You see? And in the body of Christ, the place... You're going to make your greatest impact is in the place of your greatest giftedness. And so are you serving in the body of Christ? There in your note sheet, 1 Peter puts it like this. Uh, he, he takes all the gifts of the New Testament and just kind of puts them into two large buckets. He calls them speaking and serving. Yeah, it's on the back of your note sheet. Should I warn you? Uh, Sorry for the slow turners. The wave. It's like a wave. Oh. All right. Here we go. First three or four. So, God, this is from New Living Translation. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. To each of you as Christ followers. He says, use them to, to what? Serve one another. There it is. So, do you have the gift of speaking? then, then uh, this is a speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Take that role seriously. Uh, do you have the gift of helping others? You know, it might be leadership, mercy, encouragement, administration, whatever. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. And then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And so he says, hey, you're gifted. Use your gifts in, in the community, in the church, in the ecclesia. And so, so the question, this question is, are you using your gifts to serve the community of Jesus? Another way of asking it is if you were to, leave, whether you go to this church or maybe you're just visiting today from another church, you're out of town or, or you double dip, you go somewhere else Saturday night and come here, whatever, uh, whatever church you're in, are you using your gifts to advance the cause of Jesus in that church in such a way that if you were gone, you would be missed? It's a great question. 
You know, one of the greatest dangers we face in Western culture today, in terms of Western Christianity, is that our culture is a consumer, has a consumer mindset towards everything. And often we bring that consumer mindset to church. And we come to church, and here's the question we ask, what can this church do for me? When the question we should be asking, once we've decided on whatever church it is, once you decide this is a, the question we should be asking is what can I do to advance the cause of Jesus at this church? That's the question we should be asking. And, and so often we come to, well, it's the music's this, or the, the, you know, the, the teaching's this, or the clothing's that, or the campus is this, or the bathrooms are that. And, and so we become a consumer mindset. And we forget as Christians, when we come together, it's not about us. It's about one another. It's about God. It's about advancing his kingdom. It's about worship. And so uh, are you serving the, com the, the community of Jesus? The third area would be the world. Uh, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be what I like to call a force for good wherever we go. You know, think of, think of the uh, story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, the, the, the person that he helped wasn't his family. It wasn't his friends. It wasn't his Christian community. It was the, his enemies. He just, he just kind of did well. And so as followers of Jesus, wherever we go, you're, you're a, a classroom teacher, you work in the financial industry, you drive a big rig, uh, you're a housemaker, house, uh, house you're a, uh, a little league coach uh, you, in your community. Like wherever we go as followers of Jesus, we're going to be a force for good. We're going to be servant mindset wherever we go. And so Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. Yeah, go back. Uh, you are the light of the world. He says, he says, this is a dark world. Your job is to light it up. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. Well, how do you do that? He says, by, he says uh, well, well, that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and praise your Father. The way you light it up is by being a force for good, loving people, serving well. Next one, Galatians 6. Paul says, as we have opportunity, think good Samaritan, let us do good to all people. Notice, not just your, not just your tribe. Not just your family, not just your Christian tribe, to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so are you a force for good wherever you go? Now, the second major question then, and this is honestly the harder one. This is a really kind of a devastating question. This is when, uh, whenever I ask this question myself, my, my score, my grade goes down rapidly. And it goes like this, do you have the heart of a servant? So here's what I want you to catch. It is possible to serve and not have the heart of a servant. This often happens in Christian circles because as Christian circles, we tend to value service. I mean, Jesus talked about this. You want to be great, you serve. And we put it up on wall plaques and we have it in our vision statement. And so as Christians, we tend to, we, we know the value of service. And so again, Going back to this idea of an occasional act, we tend to say, hey, we look at our lives, and because I served here or served there or served there, yes, I have the heart of a servant. I'm a servant. And this is especially true if the service that we have done is particularly sexy or captivating. So, per, for example, uh, digging water wells in Africa is sexy service, right? Uh, going to build homes for the homeless, very, very attractive, right? Uh, getting kids out of sex trafficking, a lot of appeal. 
We, we live in a, in a culture that's driven by, by causes right now. And even as Christians, and, and let me, be, neon lights, these are all awesome things, and we all should be doing it. But what can happen is that we could often think that we have the heart of a servant because we've done these three things when we don't have the heart of a servant at all. The same college student that's going to go help sex trafficking is going to go home and mom says, would you clean your room? I don't have time for that. You see, the, the, same, the same husband or wife who goes to Uganda comes home and, and the spouse says, hey, could you help me with the yard? And it's like, I'm too busy. I'm exhausted from serving in Uganda. Right? And so it's easy for us to be self-deceived, to think because we serve three times a week, we have the heart of a servant. And so here's a question that's been really helpful to me over the years. It, honestly, it's devastating to me. I hope it is to you. <laughs> it goes like this. The question is not just where do you serve. Here's the question. How do you respond when you're treated like a servant? It's one thing to serve. It's another thing to be treated like a servant. I, I, it's, you know, if you serve your wife and she serves you back, that works pretty well. If you're on a great team at work and, and you serve the team and the team serves you, it's pretty easy. You're in a ministry and you serve and you're constantly getting a lot of affirmation and appreciation. Thanks for doing that. So awesome. Service is pretty easy. The question is, how do you, what, how, how do you respond when you serve and you're treated like a servant? When you serve your spouse and they're having a bad day and they don't appreciate it at all. When you have a jerk of a boss at work and you serve and serve and they take you for granted, they never appreciate, they abuse and manipulate, how do you respond then? When you're in a ministry and you're working your heart out and no one seems to recognize or even acknowledge that you're there, how do you respond then? See, true servants continue to serve well because they're not motivated by the applause of people. They're not motivated because they're going to get something back. I'll serve you, you serve me. They continue to serve well because they're motivated by a heart of love. It's not about them. It's about the other person. Look what Jesus said in Luke 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are, who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Big deal. The question is, do you keep on scratching backs when they never turn around to say thank you? Right. Or when they turn around and say, hey, you're scratching in the wrong area. You know, knock it off. I've taught you so many times how to scratch my back. It's just kind of, I said lower, lower, softer, you're hurting me, you know. And so what often tends to happen is when, when people don't appreciate, when people use, when they don't reciprocate, what happens, we tend to go, forget it then. You're a lousy boss, forget it. I'll come in a little bit late, I'll leave a little bit early, I'll waste my, see how you like that? You know, it's like, hey, listen, wife, 
I did what you asked. If you're not going to do what I asked, this is a two-way street around here. I'm at the doormat. Hey, I've been serving in this ministry. No one's thanked me. Let's see what happens when I don't show up next week. What's happened? We have just revealed we do not have the heart of a servant. We have the heart of someone who says, serve me. I want to be the great one around here. What we have just revealed is that we have a heart of pride and arrogance, not a heart of humility. This is challenging, isn't it? Now, let me say this before we end. You realize this, only Jesus can change a heart. If we go out of here and say, okay, well, that's it. I'm going to start serving. It's going to last till about 2 o'clock. <laughs> but as followers of Jesus, like in any other area, what do we do? We come to Jesus and we just be honest. God, I'm not very good at this. And if I'm going to change, I need you to change me. But here's what I'll do. If you will lead me and you will guide me and you will mentor me, I will follow your leading. I'll stop taking the big piece. I'll start serving. I will put the needs of others above my, as you lead me and as you empower me, I will follow. And guess what? As we follow, we will be transformed. And we will turn into a church that is loving well and is evidenced by our life of service in all three spheres. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're just so thankful for you and what you do in our lives. And God, we're just so thankful we're not alone in this, that you are with us, that you lay it out for the disciples, but then you're going to come and live within them to transform them, to do for them what they could never do for themselves. And so Lord, we just pray that you would uh, work in our lives. You would mentor us, shepherd us, change us, lead us, and that as we follow that leading, that we would be transformed to be like you. And God, as we go in this time of worship now, we pray that it's time of reflection, as we speak and sing to you, that you would minister to us and you would call us to this life of freedom that comes from a life of humility and true service. We pray that your name would be honored, your kingdom would expand, and because people would see our good works that glorify our Father. And Father, we pray as we bring you our offerings now, would you use them to build a place, a city on a hill, that might be a light to a dark world, that would light up, light up the way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I, I hope you can be with us next week as we continue uh, this series, three code words, three key words, countercultural, radical, future-focused. Jesus, next week's talks really isolates, focuses on this concept of being future-focused. That the future, the next life is very real. The decisions we make here uh, impact all of our life for eternity, and so choose wealth. Powerful passage, challenging passage, countercultural, radical, and future-focused. I hope you can join us. Don't forget, after every service, always have a ministry at the back, by the tables, the far left, uh, prayer corner, anything you need prayer for, head on back there afterwards. And until then, may this be a, a week where you buy into Jesus and his philosophy of life just a little bit more. May this be a week where you come under his leadership in a greater degree. May this be a week where you submit to his leadership and say, if service is the path, then Jesus, I need you to teach me. May this be a week where you grow in your heart of a service, at your homes, in your church, in the community. May he pour out a spirit of service in your life 
that is truly the freedom, the, 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 uh, the gift of humility, the gift of freedom. So may God meet you every day. May you spend time with him this week. May you set aside time this week to spend with him, to think about these things, to pursue him. May he meet you there, transform your life, create the heart of a, of a servant, and set you free to be a light in a dark world. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next week.